happy 2018. This is Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com welcoming you to episode 48 of the AppAdvice Weekly Podcast. Joining me as usual is my co-host Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net and join us this week as we take a look back at 2017 with the biggest Apple news, trendiest apps, and best games of the year. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. This is always a fun episode where we get to reveal what we thought were our favorite games of the year. So I'm looking forward. I, I think there's some crossover this year, which is always good. And it was an amazing year for games. It definitely was. And hopefully everyone listening and you too, Brett, had a great holiday break and are ready for a look back. Plus, we get to now have a brand new year of apps and games and Apple News. Yes, yeah, never ending. <laughs> and so before we get to our top 10 games of the year, we want to start off with Apple's year in review. And mainly, it's kind of goes by a script. March, there's a smaller event. June, there's WWDC, software-specific event. And then September, there's an iPhone event. And really, the highlight of 2017 is the iPhone X. I'm sure there's plenty of people who complain about it for whatever reason, but... For me, it's definitely the highlight of the year, and it's been rumored for so many years that full-screen iPhone with the OLEDs display and face sensor and all kinds of magical stuff, and now it's actually a real thing in our hands, and I have to say Apple delivered on that promise and the built reached and matched that expectation and anticipation. Yeah, yeah, I'm super happy with my iPhone 10. It, it works well. I the, Even the stuff that I was a little nervous about, like the Face ID, it works so well that I love it. Like, I was a little nervous about it at first, like getting rid of that home button, but you get quickly get used to doing the swipe gestures. The only one that still kind of annoys me is the closing of apps, but otherwise, it is just so easy to use, especially if you need to log in. It feels like a throwback to just the swipe to open and swipe to unlock. You don't have to type in anything. You just look at your phone and use it like you normally would. And it just eliminates like stuff that you didn't even know you found annoying that you find annoying now when you go back to like another device. I It just works so well. And yeah, they really nailed it and did a great job with that, with the iPhone 10. Yeah, you nailed it with that Face ID essentially bringing slide to unlock back. And then, of course, just those swipe gestures, just to flip between apps. You know, it's just that swipe on the bottom of the screen. It shows how fast the processor and the increased RAM is of the device. The camera is simply outstanding. Even when I was using it for the Rose Parade, and usually I bring in my standalone camera. This year I was like, I'm going iPhone X only and see if it can handle it. And it did. That 2X optical zoom was surprisingly good for picture quality and just the colors that it captures even in low light did an excellent job for the entire parade yeah i, I mean it's the it is the highlight of the year for them they even had some low lights where they missed releasing a product and uh, and other things didn't sell as well but the iPhone 10, that was the shining thing, and it, it was touch and go there for a bit. People were nervous about it, but I think they end up coming out all right with it. And so it's interesting because kind of the big takeaway is that 
iPhones got more expensive and iPads got cheaper in 2017. And so now there is that low-cost iPad, even though Apple introduced and maintained that 10.5-inch version. So that's their kind of new premium price. But they did give the new 349 iPad option to kind of go with the iPhone SE. And then you mentioned some of the lowlights. Even though it just happened at the end of the year, the battery performance where if your battery gets old, they lower the, or they essentially throttle the processing power of your device is definitely a low light. And then so is the HomePod as it never actually came out. Yeah. And plus they're losing market share to Amazon with every day this thing isn't around. Like they missed a huge opportunity not having this out for the holidays. And I, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what they do this year with regards to the iPad. Are we going to see a no a no home button iPad? The HomePod, I really don't even care about at this point. I mean, <laughs> they really missed the boat, and it's nothing I even care about. It's like when they introduced the 4K Apple TV. It's like, I would have bought that in 2016, but now it's like too late. You kind of missed the boat on that one, and that's exactly how the HomePod feels. Yes, I, uh, yeah, I completely agree. Looking ahead to 2018, I do hope that Face ID and the removal of home button comes to the iPad, as well as the MacBook Pro line, you know, because they built that whole touch bar. It has touch ID built in, and they haven't really done anything with touch bar in the two years that it's been out. So hopefully they go back kind of and try to rework it, get developers interested in doing something different with it, or just focusing on Face ID in the MacBook to maybe essentially change the reliance on the touch bar. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Really, nothing has come of that touch bar. I, they made such a big deal of it, and you thought it was going to be imp- implemented into all these other programs, and then it just kind of fizzled out. No one even talks about it. And I, I thought maybe it would even become like a separate little uh, peripheral you could buy if you didn't if you had like a iMac or some other device where it would just kind of sit on the desktop and you would get access to it. But nothing. It just seems to like they dropped it. Like it didn't do well. People were complaining that the the Max costed more because of it. And I don't know. It's just one of these that kind of just faded into nothing. Yep. And so that's pretty much the Apple Roundup for 2017. And then in terms of apps, there wasn't like the big breakthrough like competitor to Instagram or some new hot weather app. I don't know if you can have hot weather app or some new social media (laughs) trend. But the real big kind of popularity boost of the year is a pseudo game in HQ Live Trivia Game Show. We just talked about it a few weeks ago, but it really took the App Store by storm that it launched in September, and now by the end of the year, they had games where over 700,000 people are logging in and playing live. It's had plenty of hiccups in terms of being able to handle that demand, but it's definitely the big kind of standout of the year when it comes to popularity in apps. Yeah, I mean, it's like every day they have daily competitions and there's at least 400,000 people on every single day. And that's that's impressive when you're getting them to drop everything they're doing and just logging on and playing this trivia game in hopes to win some amount of money. Like you don't, you, you don't even, even, even though they list the prize at like $2,000, you don't even know you could get $13 or something depending on how many people 
all win and, and finish the entire quiz, all 12 questions. So it's pretty impressive that people are coming back day after day, that large number of people. Yep. And so really that kind of helps us go to the big portion of the show. And that's all the games that came out in 2017. It was a banner year for the app store and just not the sheer number. Cause there's always a sheer number, but it seemed like the quality really amped up throughout 2017, no matter what month you looked at, there's like, there's some great apps or games from this month or this month, you know, it's January, it's July, it's December. You always have something great to play. And so Brett and I have both compiled a top 10 list and we're going to go in order. We have some overlap, like you mentioned at the top, and we'll each have, or essentially, there's probably not going to be 20 different games to talk about because there's overlap, but there's some great games to check out if you didn't get them at any point in 2017. Right, and and this list, we could have easily come up with unique titles between the two of us. It just happened that we overlapped, but there were so many good games last year that I had trouble coming up with my 10. I had stuff moving off the bottom. I moved it back on. I shifted things around. Really, this is kind of a state of flux where... This is a top 10, but there are plenty of other games that I could have just shifted one spot or two spots in on the list. And even within my list, I could have shifted things around. But there were so many amazing games to pick from this year that it was a one of the toughest years, I would say, to, to actually make my top 10 list. I definitely agree. I created a whole top 50 list, and you know, picking that top 10 and the difference between 11 to 20 or 21 to 30 it's not this like huge like drop off it's you know little you're splitting hairs but we do actually have top 10s to go over yep and so at 10 my pick was reckless getaway 2 it's there was quite a few sequels in 2017 but it was the sequel that stood above the rest for me i mean monument valley 2 and frame 2 and reigns 2 they're all right there but Reckless Getaway 2 did such a good job in essentially having the name of the original, but the gameplay is completely different. You still have the same idea where you're driving around and you're avoiding the police, but now the original was like a single-player campaign with distinct levels, and you had a point A to point B. With the sequel, it's now more of an open-world idea where you're just trying to survive as long as possible, and there's very specific mission you'll need to get like you need to rack up a certain amount of damage or you need to survive for a certain amount of time or you need to get air time for a specific amount and you have these different objectives and those each car that you unlock is tied to a different environment and then there's a whole bunch of different cars to unlock so it keeps you wanting to play like what next new car am I going to get to and then that's going to open up a whole new place to drive in with new objectives and just new challenges and it really keeps you in that cycle that it probably had the best replay factor of any game for me in 2017 yeah i with as far as you what you mentioned about sequels this reckless uh, getaway 2 did such a good job of there were a lot of games where we had the sequel was an iteration on on the original game and it, it was more of the same with like some nice little extra tweaks like my valley 2 and and a couple of the others you mentioned but this was the most drastic change i think with one of the sequels where they had a, like the inkling of a game with the first one and it felt kind of nice but 
this just took it so many levels beyond what the original was and just dramatically improved the overall experience that you wanted to play this a heck of a lot more than I ever played the original. And so I completely agree with you. Like this was one that I kept on playing for a long time. You would keep coming back because you'd want to unlock those new vehicles. You'd want to see the new environments. And it was just really, really fun to play, just to like tear through things and destroy things and do whatever you wanted in this world while trying to escape police and maybe even smashing into the police and then taking off. And it was just a really fun, crazy game. Yep. And so your and top so- 10... Yeah, so my number 10, this one was a big surprise for me. A lot of people, if you listen to the show, you know that I love, uh, like, digital card games and digital board games. And this one kind of was sort of like a a mix between arcade and card game. And it's called Missile Cards. And what you had was, it's kind of a defense game where you have these kind of a rolling... Uh, conveyor belt of cards that are coming out and you can purchase these cards and you play them and then they have to charge up and you use these to basically fire missiles from your base that are that's down at the bottom of the screen at the various things that are falling down towards your base so they're going to destroy it so there might be like a comet or missiles or other things and they have little numbers on them to tell you how strong they are and you need to have a uh projectile that you fire from your base that's either that size or stronger to knock these things out so you're going to be able to play through these levels and you'll start to beat them the level the cards come out randomly so you're not always going to be able to actually complete the level and survive because if any one of your part of your base gets destroyed and then another thing comes in then you're dead so in between rounds, it's almost like a roguelike game where you can upgrade your base that are more permanent upgrades. So you use these points and you upgrade to like give your have like a laser that you can charge up separately that doesn't have to be one of these cards that you can fire off, or you can increase the overall health of your base or other aspects of your base that allow it to hopefully survive, and then you'll make it to the next world where you have like a different base and different type of projectiles. And it's just a really fun kind of mix between arcade and card game. And it was just came out of nowhere and just really I don't know. I really enjoyed this one. They really balanced the strategy really well in Missile Cards. So every single time, you know, the cards are sliding over. Like you said, they're randomly generated. And you have to decide, when do I want to use this specific missile? Do I, you know, this one powered asteroid is about to hit my base. Do I waste my big four power missile? Or do I maybe wait another turn and it might come out? But... If you wait too long, then you're going to get your base destroyed. So you have that delicate balance of when to play certain cards. Because then, say you play that four-powered missile on that one asteroid, and then a four-powered asteroid comes like as soon as you use it, and now you don't have another four. And so you have to maybe use two cards that add up to four, but then that's wasting turns and when you can go and attack other pieces. So it's that constant strategic balance. The only kind of stumbling block for me on this one was that it took a little longer to unlock the, uh, you know, the step up in difficulties as compared to where Reckless Getaway 2 was quicker to unlock cars. This one, it seemed like it was a bit tougher to unlock the tougher regions. Yeah, it did take a lot. 
a bit of grinding to get to the later levels. You really had to to work to get those upgrades in order to be able to survive the level. Because even with the best possible card draw that you could come through, you would still have to struggle without having those upgrades. So I think it was designed that way in order to like not make you fly through the game so quickly. But I could see where that'd be kind of frustrating if you want to move on, you just can't get it to move on. Yep. And so that's missile cards, and then that means it's time for number nine. And for Brett, I know your number nine is a bit higher on my list, so we'll talk about it in a bit. And so my number nine is Causality, which came out back in February. And so it's you can easily forget about some of these games that came out ten months ago. But the game really kind of stood apart by being an original idea. I always am looking and creating this list based on originality, iOS uniqueness, etc. And so it's a traditional A to B puzzle game where you need to direct your astronaut from point A to point B. And then there's switches to trigger, and that's all relatively familiar. Where they switch it up is this whole time mechanic where you can manipulate time, where you can send out your astronaut, and then... He's going to go, say, on the right path. And then you rewind time, and you send out another astronaut, and he goes on the left path. So you need the one astronaut to hit a trigger on the right path to open up the door for the astronaut on the left path to go. So it's this multi-dimensional kind of parallel universe setup of having looping time that allows you to have multiple astronauts go and unlock everything in these given more and more complex levels that require you to really manipulate time and it introduces a whole new kind of puzzle mechanic and challenge with the time element it's kind of like that fourth level of puzzle idea versus the traditional just a to b yeah we have a lot of those where you have to guide the the person games but i love that little scrubber that this game has where you can just keep on playing with time to figure out exactly where you need to adjust things like scrub it back just a tiny bit switch that little platform so you change the direction which that person the next person is going to hit it moves and then you release it let it go and hopefully you get the right combination of scrubbing of time and moving of things just to get them to move and you have a limited amount of time so if they run all the way and it's like sometimes they'll get almost to the end and then you'll see you your timeline ran out you're like i gotta find a quicker way and so then now you try to guide them in a different direction in order to have a shorter path for them to walk in order to reach the platform they need to reach so there's a lot of like playing with things and just going back and forth and trial and error and it's it's an interesting way to tackle this type of game that does make it feel very unique from anything else that was out there yep that time scrubber and running out of time that introduces that whole more complex mechanic especially once you get into the different regions and the different zones with all these different kinds of switches and you have such limited time to work with when you you know you have to send out like four astronauts into the grid, but you really have to come up with that best possible method to do so. Right, yeah. I think a time limit is what really makes this thing that much better. Because I think if you had an unlimited time and you could just keep on manipulating things, it wouldn't nearly be as as fun as it is. Where since they have that time limit, it just really puts the pressure on and makes you figure out a path that works. Yep. 
And so that's causality. And then my number eight is higher up on Brett's list, so we'll get to that in a bit. And my number eight is Limelight. This is a beautiful minimalist puzzle game where players are this little kind of bar of light that's kind of flowing around these lines that are on the screen and they're twisting and turning and crisscrossing and you're avoiding obstacles and you have to solve these puzzles where these things are kind of going after you in times and other times you're just twisting around trying to avoid them or figuring out the timing where you just have to slide through certain areas right at the right time to avoid getting hit but it just is a really nice fluid movement to this game and even when you go between levels so you go solve a puzzle and now you're moving on to the next puzzle the whole game just has this flow where you just kind of move along and then all of a sudden you're in the next puzzle and it's just a really well put together game this is another port front that comes from the pc but it just feels so natural on a touch device and it's so well done that even with the music and everything this was such an enjoyable experience and there were like something like 200 puzzles or something it seemed like that it never ended and you just wanted to just enjoy it and slowly go through it and it was challenging enough but not too challenging and i just really love this game yeah one of the best parts is the flow from level to level. So you kind of lose track of time. You know, it's not that here's level one, a little menu screen, and then you go into level two. There isn't that break point. So you have that better flow. You know, each pathway that you're intersecting in a given puzzle then branches out to lead you to that next puzzle, which that's always excellent in a puzzle game. This one is just outside my top 10, but it's definitely one that was to be appreciated in 2017. Yep. And so up next is number seven. And this was actually Apple's game of the year. My pick for number seven is Splitter Critters. And this game is another puzzle game that really kind of breaks the mold. So all you have to do is essentially guide these lemming-style creatures from point A to point B. We've seen this type of game before, but they actually set it up where you get to cut the screen and then readjust the pathway. So say you just cut the screen right in half and you have a pathway that's elevated and a pathway that's lower. Now you can move that lower pathway up to the upper pathway so that way the little creatures can walk and now reach the exit point. And then as you go, the levels get more complex but built on that really core, essentially simple mechanic but it becomes really complex. So you're going to have to create multiple cuts and piece everything together to create that pathway, especially as enemies come in and then you need to keep them separated from your little guys. Yeah, and it's not just using the cuts, like stacking those on top of each other, but it's also making use of that undo within the game where you have to cut, get it to move on to the certain, I mean, cut, drag, then he moves on to a new section, undo, so now you have all your three cuts again, so now you can do even more manipulation of the screen and get him to the next part of the level he needs to be up until finally he can reach his spaceship. This game, I remember when we talked about this on the podcast, when it came out, it was released late January, so early in the year, I said, I know we're still only in the first month of the year, but this sort of innovation in gameplay is exactly what I look for when picking my favorite titles of the year. And this was on my list. It was off the list. It was on the list, off the list. I struggled putting this one in the top 10 so many times. 
and I it just slightly got edged out. I think it was because I went back and replayed, and I'm stuck on the same level that I've been stuck on since probably February when I <laughs> like I could not get by this level. And I can't move to the next section of levels until I finish this level. And I tried for a good hour last night and I just could not get by this level. And I don't know how to get by it. Maybe I need to look up a YouTube video, but it is killing me. And so for that reason, I just kept it off the list, even though I love this game so much. And the the just the really uniqueness of the game and that whole ripping and restoring mechanic that they use. Yep. That's Splitter Critters, and everything that you said is spot on. That undo, where now it even kind of, it's a bit like causality, where it's a little timing mechanic idea of, you know, putting it to the right place and then switching it back. And I guess I can fully understand your perspective as well. Yeah, I, I it... It, and it, it, that undo, you, the timing is so key. You have to do it at just the right time. Otherwise, the level I'm stuck at, I keep getting hit by lasers, and then he falls off because I didn't move him to a certain location. So that timing becomes critical as you get further and further into the game, and they get more and more complex with the level design. But a really fun and interesting title. Yep. So and from... Uh, so moving on from my number seven, and this is Trevor's number eight, is Cat Quest. And this was another one that just took me by surprise. You don't, that seems to be the theme with my list, where these titles, I had no idea going into them, and they just really captured something for me. And I just really love this game. Like This is a RPG set in a world of cats. So everyone's a cat, and it's a fun, it's a friendly RPG. So you don't really have to have like a lot of experience playing RPGs. You can dive right into this one and it will get progressively harder as you level up your character, but there is no barrier to entry with this game. It's just family friendly. Anyone can play and you're in this world where your sister, I believe it was, is catnapped and now you have to go rescue her and you choose the archetype that you want to be and then you just start going and going into dungeons and fighting things and, and leveling up. And there are so many quests and side quests that you can do. I think that they listed like there's 15 hours of content. And I would believe that there's at least that because I played this for, I don't know how long. And it's just one of those games where you start playing and hours fly by and you realize I'm still playing this cat RPG and maybe I should do something else. And then you're like, I don't care. This is so much fun. And then you just want to level up. And then there'll be other dungeons you can get in. You see, you just need to be another level to be able to survive. You could take a chance, but odds are you're not going to survive. And it's just an imaginative and fun world that they created in this, which I don't play a lot of RPGs. This pulled me right in and made me want to play. This one really is outstanding. I mean, my number eight, your number seven, obviously, it's a great game. And I think my favorite part is that they give you the world map. And rather than, you know, double tapping to zoom in or, you know, that you see the world map and then you go back to the regular view, the entire game is set on the world map. So you're always kind of aware of it. You're cognizant of the transition to different regions and you fight the enemies right on top of the map and you get to see 
Now, if you go explore over here, you can upgrade your character enough to go face a big boss back over there. And it just keeps you fully invested in the entire game because you're always kind of immersed in the action. There isn't that break between, oh, now we're loading into a battle. It's just right there, right on the world map. It never takes you away from that. And then, like you said, it makes an RPG as accessible as possible because usually the genre, you know, it's for a specific type of player. But Cat Quest, it kind of breaks that idea and just that hesitance of if you've never played an RPG to let you go in and enjoy it. You have this cute little cat character and just a really fun free-flowing experience to have on your iOS device. Yeah, what you said about the the map, that's spot on. I didn't even think of that, but you do. As you're playing, you're right there on the map and you can see as you're walking along, you might see these big bad creatures over there and you're like Maybe I'll save that area for a little later once I'm leveled up because those things look tough and I think I'm going to die. So it helps guide you to where you need to go, but then there's always something going on. Like you said, you can fight the things while you're walking by or you can go into the dungeons to go for the actual quest where you can get the chests and the other and the other items that you need. And it, there's just always something to do because that map is animated and there's never there's always something to attack or something to look at, something to keep you engaged where you never feel like I'm just walking to a new location and this is boring. No, there's always something there. Yep. And that's Cat Quest. It's really an outstanding one, especially because I saw it at, you know, like Big Indie Pitch or something. And I told everyone there this is the number one game and they're like nah and i'm telling you it was gonna be the number one game from that big indie pitch and it was definite standout of the year yep and so my number six is kalimba which is a really fast-paced and fluid platformer game that uses two characters that can you control simultaneously and those type of games i was kind of getting into there was heart star and staying together and a few others where you have that mechanic where you control two characters simultaneously, but they're moving in different directions or they have different abilities and you need to work them kind of in tandem and teamwork to proceed forward. But Kalimba really takes that and makes it so it's not like a puzzle platformer, but a pure platformer. So you really need to be quick and on your toes with this switching mechanic. So you have a purple and green character. The green guy can go through kind of a green fluid. The purple guy can go through the purple fluid. And you need to use that idea to flip them. You can flip them up and down. So one's on the top, one's on the bottom. And you can kind of keep switching them around to make it through these levels. And the level design is one of the best on iOS. Just with the pacing to keep you consistently challenged, but never that kind of hardcore, you're going to die a million times type of platform like a Super Meat Boy. So it has that really delicate balance to keep you fully engaged to want to go from level to level and see what each new level has in store. Yeah, so the one of the things they do is they do offer that challenge. If you want that super difficult challenge, you can try to go for that full meter at the end by never dying. But odds are most people are just going to make it through and say, I made it through the level. That's good enough for me because these are challenging levels. And I was a little concerned because this is a game, another game that came from consoles and I believe the PC as well. And with the amount of quick action you have to do to kind of 
jump between and quickly switch them or get them lined up in just the right way. I was worried without a controller, are you going to be able to do this? Because it is requires some quick movement. And they did a really nice job with the the touch interface for this one and things were responsive and I never felt like I needed to have a physical controller to play the game. This was one I always kind of saw on the Xbox and always wondered about. And then when it came out on iOS, I'm like, yeah, finally, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a try and see. And it's, I, like you said, it is one of these that is so well done in a highlight of the app store. And this one almost made my list as well. I, I, th- I kept on going back and forth, but this one as well. And I just I don't know why I didn't end up picking it because it just it's so polished and well done. There's this whole little guy called Hobear that kind of is your spirit guy during the thing and he's humorous and kind of guides things along and it's just a challenging and well-made game that they've done a phenomenal job of bringing over to iOS. Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. And so Brett's number 6 is my number 5, so we can do a nice seamless transition there. And the game <laughs> is Play Dead's Inside. So we just talked about Inside a couple weeks ago. It came out like December 14th. And everything we said then is still true now. The game is ported over from the PC and Steam and console arcade. But that doesn't take away from what they've done and created on iOS. It really is a superb platformer experience with this great monochromatic setting, this dark world that you have to explore and interact with. And the highlight of the game is there's all these different gotcha moments where you're kind of just running along, you're being chased, you have this air of impending doom, and you're kind of just moving from next challenge to next challenge, and then all of a sudden that challenge will fall upon you. Like some, you're walking across this branch and it will break. Or you're walking along and these dogs come out and start attacking you and so you have to just react to all these different things that come at you in this world and once they set up and establish that setting where you actually kind of are invested in the little boy and then you're in this dark world and you kind of feel it you're immersed in it those moments of sudden change are that much more impactful yeah this game was phenomenally good i i almost put it even higher on my list oh i did too it is it is so well done like and the port is is flawless like the controls work just so well and i love this i've loved limbo this one kicks limbo's butt like this is so much better than limbo and it just you do get invested in this boy and what's going to happen to him and trying to figure out how you can keep him safe and what the next thing that's going to come. There'll be like sections where you're just walking along and you're like, something's going to come. Something's going to come <laughs> out and get me. When's it going to happen? And sometimes you you're able to respond and not die, but you're going to die often. And they have a great checkpoint system where it pretty much starts you right where you just were. And then you can try something different or you, and you learn it. And there's a nice mix of quick puzzles and longer puzzles that require a little more setup and figuring things out. And then there's things that just like freak the crap out of you when they pop up. And I don't know, I just love this game so much, and it was so well done. I can't wait to see what Play Dead comes out with next. I assume it's going to come to platform uh, like Xbox and PS4 first before it comes to iOS, but 
I I will buy whatever they release next because they have done so well with these games. Yeah, there's really inside just nails everything you could want from this type of game. So my number five is a game from Tiny Touch Tales, who actually had two phenomenal releases this year or last year, I should say. And I end up choosing Miracle Merchant. I kind of went back and forth and do I pick uh, Card Thief? Do, I mean, Card yeah, Card Thief, or do I pick Miracle Merchant? Do I pick them both? Do I? And I went back and forth, and in the end, I decided to choose Miracle Merchant, which is this solitaire style potion brewing card game where you have this set of cards down at the bottom of the screen, which are four different suits, well, five different suits. And what you have to do is brew these potions. So you put out a total of four cards and positioning of the cards matters. So a customer will come up, they'll tell you the two different types of things that they want. One is when they want, one is the one they need. And so you have to play one card of that suit that they say that they need, at least in your potion. And when you start to play these these potion cards they'll build up in value and there's a black color which is a negative points so you have to be careful when you play those black cards but you don't know when they're going to show up on the top of these four decks of cards and so you constantly have to kind of play cards to try to counter the other cards certain cards will have symbols on them that say if they're next to a certain color they'll earn you extra bonus points and you're while you're playing these cards, you're building potions. So like two next, two of the same color next to each other and two of the same color next to each other. So you have two sets of two are like twin potions or duplex potions. And so you're, you discover these potions as you're playing them and then you'll learn these and they go in your little potion book and then you'll, start to figure out oh wait these different combinations will earn me more points and your whole goal is to not only make it through all the customers without getting any negative points on any one customer but you also want to try to rack up the total the highest total score you can when you reach the end and then there's also little goals you can try to aim for like getting a potion that's worth x number of points and those will uh, those are kind of like a rolling list of things to always kind of aim for and the reason i chose this one is because i just felt it was very approachable and anyone can kind of just pick up and play this it's good for like a just a quick little two minute game while you're waiting for something and there's a daily challenge you can go in and do every single day and i just really love the colorful fun art within the game and it was just one that really i don't know spoke to me when i first played i love everything tiny touch tales does and I could have picked either of the two games in this spot, but I end up just choosing Miracle Merchant. It's definitely mentioned worth mentioning Card Thief, you know, even if it's not in the top ten, just because it's an outstanding strategy based modern take on Solitaire. But Miracle Merchant, I can see why you picked it. I this game is perfect to play in those spare couple minutes of your day. I've definitely done that multiple times. And it's just because you have those so each of the four suits has 13 cards and somewhere in those 13 cards are going to be those three black cards and so it's this constant kind of balance because that first person who comes they want the green potion and their second is red potion so you want to get those red and green cards in the hand as best as possible but 
you don't want to do that too often. You don't want to burn through one of the stacks over the other ones because you want to maximize your score. But if you run out of cards, so you get to the last few people and you're out of blue and they want blue, you lost the game. So you then have to kind of always be like having resource management in the way you use these different cards. And it always changes kind of your strategic approach to every single hand that you make. Right, yeah. You there's always that delicate balance of do I really want to maximize the score or do I want to push my luck and hope that there's not another black card is going to show up and then I won't have the card I need. Or, But they do kind of give you hints of how many black cards are left in each of those stacks. But there's always that risk-reward of how much do I want to push my luck on the next person needing the color that I'm just about out of. And you can kick one person, but they'll, they'll come back. You're only just kicking them to the end of the line. So you you can't take too many chances of running one of those card decks fully out until you're maybe on your last person and you know I don't need it for this person I'm good or maybe the last two and take a chance but yeah I love that risk reward kind of aspect of this game and that's Miracle Merchant and so Brett's number four is just a bit higher on my list so let's talk about Mushroom 11 and in the meantime and so that's my number four it was brett's number nine and mushroom 11 is a really interesting take because it's kind of a adventure game platformer idea but the main character doesn't move like any other character around and so what you do it's essentially this green blob and you drag from behind it so every kind of pixel that you delete on the back end recreates on the front end and so you're essentially pushing it upwards or forwards just by getting right of the back and then reforming on the front. And it's a whole new way to move a character and all the levels are designed in such a way to take advantage of that brand new movement idea. At first you're like, I don't think I'm going to be able to move this blob around through this mechanic. But as you go, it really becomes kind of second nature so you can focus on the challenge at hand and there's really ornate level design you actually have this progression idea as you go to different environments and just it's exciting to see what comes next in the ways that you can interact with the world because you have a green blob rather than a usual kind of character that you're familiar with yeah, it really kind of changes up the whole puzzle platformer idea because of that movement style. And it is a little awkward at first, but then once you learn how that thing moves, you can pull off some crazy moves where you kind of use gravity and the removal of his stuff to kind of get him to flip into just the right location. And I don't, it's just a really interesting take on a platformer solely because of that movement, but then they the the rest of the game is so polished and and it works well and they they set up these really ornate environments and weird like kind of alien type creatures and i don't know i just this was another one that i had no expectations going in and i was blown away by this game and i i i don't know this is another one that i almost put it way higher on my list i mean it's number nine for me and number four for you i remember when we first talked about this you and i were like just so excited about this game when it came out and i'm still excited just looking at the screenshots i just want to go back and play it again i want to go back and play through this i'm like this was such a good game 
Yeah, it's funny. When I start making my list, as I get to that top 10, we go through so many games on a weekly basis that it's tough to take time to go back and finish games. And so the few games that are actually on the top 10 are the few games that I managed to finish throughout the course of the year. And Mushroom 11, it just... It's so original, and I think that's kind of what I want to emphasize in just games that really take advantage of touch, where you almost have this green blob live underneath your finger, because that's essentially what iOS excels on, and this is one of the best games to kind of divine that characteristic. Yeah, which is kind of ironic, since I think this was on Steam first. I, I know, it's weird one of those... how some games I... make it and they just fit better on iOS eventually. Yeah, and you'll notice like a huge trend here. A large percentage of our top 10 are games that were ported from the PC or other platforms. And because of that touch that they're able to put in, sometimes they are just a much better experience on iOS. And I don't I think they're almost delayed just because PC is easier to get in, get it out there, especially if you have a crazy idea like this. And people just really grasp onto it in the PC Steam world. But then you almost have to charge less when you bring it to iOS. And then when they do that, they're able to put that touch in. But it just feels like it should have been on touch to begin with. But because of restrictions of the platform and just the barrier to entry there is with paid games on iOS, I think they just go to the PC first. Where I think if people just try these things on iOS first they would never play him on Steam for some of these just because of the the touch just feels so right on on a lot of these games. Yeah. I mean, Mushroom 11, I couldn't imagine playing it on, you know, with some keyboard or some hardware controller. It just wouldn't be the same experience. Yeah. And so that means it's time for the top three. And so my number three is Hidden Folks, which came out way at the beginning of the year, all these months later... It's still kind of withstood the test of time by delivering that classic hidden object idea, but on these expansive and animated landscapes where there's all kinds of crazy things to find, but it's not like Where's Waldo where you have a set book, the entire image is on your book. This, you have to scroll your screen. You can get that 12.9 inch iPad and you're still scrolling the screen and there's just (laughs) so much to explore and find within it and then there's just this great art style and it's always nice instead of still images to have these little characters kind of moving around it's almost as though they develop a story and bring the setting to life with the little tiny animations they include and even though the entire game is just black and white there's so much personality that color isn't necessary to bring the worlds to life that you're going to be exploring and just parsing over as you try to find everything that you need yeah, the, again, I feel like I, I'm a broken record. This almost <laughs> made my list. Like, I saw this at PAX East, and it is so charming and inventive. And, yeah, it has that kind of Where's Waldo feel, but it takes it to the next level. And everything is moving, and it's like you're diving into a an animated world and trying to find these little things and each there's so many little hidden surprises to find as you tap on things and they and they move and then with the little clues they give you when you're tapping on the the items you have to find there's so much work that obviously went into this to draw all of these illustrations and 
like with how big they are. Like I only have a normal sized iPad. I can only actually I can I can imagine playing this on the large iPad because that's what I demoed it on at PAX East, and it is just so much time and effort went into this game. And it's it's one of those where you can just sit there for hours and not even even if you're not looking for an item, you're just looking at these ornate drawings and things that all the little details that you might have missed the first time. And then you look and there's always something you you didn't see. And you could just spend hours just looking at these beautiful pictures. Yeah, you know, it's funny, the little things that you find you might bring a smile to your face and it's not even something that goes to helping you proceed to the next world it's just a little thing that you find as you're looking around and then the clues themselves it's not like find waldo and you get a little picture of waldo it's like a little kind of subtly cryptic or a little funny kind of aside that goes into the clue rather than just find this image right right yeah <laughs> and so I, yeah, that's... I totally know what you mean yeah, that's hidden, folks, and it's definitely worthy of a top three game for me. So my number three is, it's like my childhood coming back, Thimbleweed Park. This is like my point-and-click adventures. This is what I grew up on. These are the games I played. I played all the Sierra Online titles. I played all of the LucasArts games. And to have Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick come back and create a brand-new game in that style with all of like throwbacks to the previous games and and pop culture thimbleweed park i had been looking forward to this for so long and it did not disappoint it is i don't know it is just fabulous i i don't know i grew up playing all these games and sort of finally have like a brand new experience but that same style it was phenomenal and you're playing through and you're these detectives kind of like Mulder and Scully trying to solve this thing. And the way you kind of just jump through time and you have all of these various weird characters that show up, it just feels like this classic adventure game, but modern. And I just loved everything about this game. What really kind of makes it stand out is that they establish this setting of the past and then every single thing they do further develops it. There's a nice focus in the game. It doesn't have many distractions. It has this case-solving idea. And then you get three different timelines to experience the game in three different ways. Or not timelines, but at least characters. So you kind of interact with your surroundings and other characters in a different way because you're playing as different characters and yet everything still has a singular focus to proceed towards the main goal in this crazy town where you kind of have a little bit of X-Files, a little bit of Twin Peaks and just a little bit of weirdness to keep you completely intrigued and wanting to find out the conclusion of this really well-crafted and intricate storyline. Yeah, I, I, and I liked how when you go to one of those other characters, you do have that focus on that character where you kind of, like with the clown, where you go back in time to see his story, but instead of just seeing his story, you're playing his story. And so now you're almost in a game within a game, and you can give all your focus to just solving this new 
almost like a mini point and click adventure. And then you come out of that and then now you're back in the main game and you have this other character. Really the only sticking point for me within this game was how long it took you to get a map where you could then just jump from location to location rather than having to walk everywhere, which I guess that kind of was more that style, but I don't have the patience for that nowadays. <laughs> like I'd rather just like click on something and jump to the location where I know I want to go. And so that was really the, maybe the only minor disappointment within this game, but otherwise it felt so classic and it was just so wonderful to finally have like a brand new game by these guys, but have that same sort of feel and Thimbleweed park, definitely a number three for me. Yep. And so that means it's time for number two. Just missed out on being the number one. And for me, that's Gorogoa. Even though it just came out two weeks ago, right before the end of the year, it jumped all the way up to number two. And it's easy to see why, because it's such an original idea that is crafted so exceptionally well for iOS. In at first glance, it's like, oh, this is like Framed. And Framed is an outstanding game. Framed 2, I have, you know, like at number 12 or something. But what Gorogoa does is it takes that mechanic and it builds upon it in every way you could possibly think of where you're still dragging frames around and those frames can kind of create the storyline. But now the frames actually are interconnected depending not only on their placement, but the order that you drag them around. So say you have just square one and you drag it over to square two. It's actually just the door frame. And so that door frame then can open up a whole new world. And then the previous area, now the door frame is missing. So you can tap to zoom in and then see pieces of that world that you might not have otherwise seen. So you tap in and you go to the picture frame. And then that picture frame is an apple. And then the apple actually connects to the tree that the little boy is standing in front of. And every single little piece is interconnected so you're going to zoom in and zoom out to different panels and realign them so that everything is eventually connected and then it subtly tells this overarching storyline that spans multiple years of this little boy's future self all dependent upon this one weird scene that he sees and it's amazing how everything is interconnected just by dragging around frames. And it's all condensed onto a grid of only four squares. There's only four potential squares ever that you could possibly drag things into. But they still are able to tell this huge, wide-scoping storyline. Yeah, this was my number four. And like you said, with frame two and framed... This just takes it and amps it to the next level where that was all about dragging individual frames around, putting them in the right order. Sometimes you had to reuse them and had to do quick movements. This has all that and more. So you have that dragging of things around where you have to get them in the right order. And then at times you have to drag them quickly to get them repositioned. But you also have an added element of maybe having to zoom in or out of a particular picture to be on the right location within that square to then have the right object there in that location and it's just it's like that next step where you have to think a little more and puzzle out a little more and plan ahead a little more to solve this thing and move the story forward and i just love that about this game i, I know it was a late entry but it was so inventive and just does so much to 
to like different that we haven't seen yet and that it had to be in my top 10. There was no way this wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And then I remember after we recorded the podcast, we were like, oh, there's also that sequence where you drag around a panel and all four of the grids show something different depending on where that panel is. Like it might have the starry sky and panel one shows a certain part of the sky. Panel two shows a different part. And so you need to drag that piece just to kind of explore and uncover and it needs to be in just the right area to highlight on a specific star. So there's so many different levels, you know, rather than just having a flat surface, you essentially are dealing with multiple layers all based on zooming in and out in those four different positions. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping they use this system to tell another story and maybe one that's not as convoluted as as this one was, but I would love to see them produce another game using the same system and seeing what else they come up with and what new additions they can do to this mechanic to even push it even forward uh, than it is right now. Yeah, I agree completely. I wouldn't complain at all if they used the same exact mold and created a different story and maybe include a few different new elements. Yep. And so that's Gorogoa. And so my number two is you didn't think we were going to escape without a Asmodee uh, <laughs> digital board game. It was a phenomenal year for Asmodee last year, 2017. It was transformative for them. And the title I chose from them is Potion Explosion. They had like amazing hits in 2016. And then last year they released not only did they release seven or eight brand new iOS digital board games, but they also took over publishing duties for like Twilight Struggle, Ascension from the, that was just from Playdeck. Other companies, they took over some of theirs. They pub, now publish games that they don't even make the analog versions of. And from all of those titles that, were, were, that they released, Potion Explosion was the one. It was an early, late January release, so early in the year. And this one just stuck with me. So Within Potion Explosion, it's this magical wizarding school kind of setting, and you're a you're a student at the school, and you're trying to craft potions. So you have this almost like a bejeweled kind of setup where you have these marbles of all different colors in this little hopper, and you're trying to pull one out to create a uh, cascade so that two light colored marbles bump into each other and any light colored marbles that bump into each other you take those into your pool and then that could cause another chain reaction where now when those are removed two other ones bump or a combination of multiple of the same color bump and then you take those and what you do is you use those ingredients to craft the potions that you have you have two in front of you and they take certain numbers of ingredients well each of those potions has a special ability so once you craft a potion you now can use that special ability which could be to steal ingredients from an opponent or to pull uh, a couple of ingredients out of the hopper but don't set off a chain reaction so now you can use that kind of to plan ahead moves or to just fill out the last couple of ingredients that you needed but this whole combination of getting the ingredients to get the potions to make the potions and now you have this special potion sitting around that you can use whenever you want it's just so thinky and fun to kind of figure out how am i going to get all these potions i need to make because 
if you make five different types of potions, you get one of these special little rewards. Or if you make three of the same type of potion, you get one of those. And once all those are gone, everyone's competing for those. Then the, that triggers the end game. And then it's whoever has the most points at the end, because each of those potions is worth a certain number of points and those little rewards are, are worth points. Then at the end, you add it up and then you have the winner. The thing that's amazing about this digital implementation of the game is they went all out. There's sound effects that just really pull you right in and make you feel like you're sitting in there. You hear like there's smoke that comes up while you're building your potions or using your potions. And it's just so much polish and atmosphere to this game that it just sets the scene. It makes you feel like you're sitting there in this wizarding school crafting your potions and it just brings the whole game to life and this is my favorite Asmodee title they released last year and I play it pretty much every day so this one definitely was making my top list and hits my number two yeah I definitely respect uh, your digital board game stuff and I know how many you play so having one make it to number two you know it's a definite standout yep and so I guess that means it's time for number one overall, game of the year for both of us. <laughs> so I'll start with my number one, and it is Age of Rivals, which this game blew me away when I first played it. And you're thinking it's another uh, digital card game. Well, this one I chose over Potion Explosion because... Unlike Potion Explosion, which is a digital implementation of a physical game, this is all original. And this emulates like a CCG, but you're not, you know, you pay once and then you can unlock the, all the content in the game just by playing it. And it's, it's a brilliant system. It's a totally unique game where it's played over the course of four rounds and you're purchasing these cards from a common deck to build up a city. And you need to mix elements of culture, economy, defense, military, and might. And you use those various cards to either attack your opponent or to just build up victory points or build up funds so that you can purchase better cards in the next round or just have shielding so that when your opponent attacks, you're going to be able to survive to the next round and not lose anything. But the, the interesting thing about the way this game works is in the first round, what you do is you, you build and you end up building eight cards. And you, so you're going through, you're buying eight cards, you have a total of eight cards. Then you'll start with four of those cards that survived in the next round. So now they automatically give you four of those cards. So now you're buying four new cards with whatever funds you happen to have. And so then the next round you have four of those cards and you're basically end up with a total of 16 cards in the end, which on that final round, you'll buy eight of those back if you have the funds to buy them. And then you're constantly having to reuse the cards you purchased. So you have to think about the previous cards you purchased and how they'll affect the ones that you're purchasing now, how they interact with each other. And if you're focusing too much on like getting money or getting uh, strength or just hopefully getting some victory points. And so there's this whole back and forth and the way the cards interact between you and your opponent that just makes the game so interesting and it varies so much from game to game. And you can, when you go into a battle, 
choose up to three cards that you want to make sure they show up at some point during one of your purchasing phases. So you can kind of plan ahead, but at the same time, you don't know what's going to show up. So you kind of always have to be ready to play it by ear or hopefully have the money set aside that you'll be able to buy that special card you're hoping to come up would come up. So it's just so much strategy and interesting card play within this game and the fact that you don't have to pay any more than the original price to keep on unlocking new content new cards and seeing how they play off of one each other this just is a phenomenal game and i i would love to see this in a physical version but this wholly original game it's just so well done and there's so much the, you just keep on finding as you discover new cards and they've added in October, they added some new cards to the game. I just really, really love this game so much. And that's why it's your game of the year. But I just really appreciate, you know, a game being made from the ground up for iOS. Cause I think you have a different perspective rather than porting over a physical board game. You have like relatively some constraints built in, but when you're just making the game for iOS, it changes it. And I think that also goes into another major benefit of the game is that you can play these games in 10 minutes. You know, it still has the familiar depth, but it's not like, oh, I've got to set aside an hour to play this entire game. You know, it's quick sessions made kind of for iOS while still having the depth and complexity of a usual CCG. Right, and and the fact that they have multiple levels of AI, they the diff the hard AI is hard, and they have this whole like single player challenge you can do, which those are insanely hard because I've tried those and I haven't beat a single one of them, and I've tried a lot, and so to have the all these various options of either playing against other players, AI players, or even the, just a solo campaign, which kind of changes things up a bit, it's it's nice to have all those various options. And depending on where or when you're playing, you can decide how you want to do it. And it's just a really interesting take on the CCG. And I definitely recommend if you hadn't picked this up, you should definitely try it. And so that means it's time for my game of the year. And I've probably mentioned it on the podcast a few times just as reference to kind of explaining my opinions on other games. But my game of the year is Oxenfree, which came out in March and... It's the game that I wanted to play through it in its entirety, and then I wanted to play through it again just to see if I could change my decisions because it's a decision-based adventure game. You've probably played this style before as Telltale has really popularized the genre. And the main difference, though, is that Telltale games, they normally have around 2,000 potential choices. Oxenfree, to put it in perspective, has 12,000 choices. So you know that you have a much broader game, more to kind of dive into. And then the actual storyline is just so well written. I can't give enough credit to the writers. I mean, this could easily pass as a TV show. Some new Netflix series, Oxenfree, where they have the coming-of-age story mixed with some supernatural vibes. And then it is all set with kind of that 80s idea. And so you have... Alex is the main character who you play as. All your decisions kind of go through her. She brings her stepbrother along to Edwards Island. It's kind of like, you know, senior day, senior ditch day. And they meet her friend, Ren, and then he invites two other girls. And it's not like they originally planned like 20 or 30 people on the Edwards Island. So it's only these five. And so you then kind of 
delve into the relationships with each one of them through Alex's eyes. And then you also get to kind of find Alex's backstory as her original brother passed away. She has a stepbrother, so, you know, her parents have remarried. And it has all those kind of compelling ideas of that coming-of-age story. And it's just makes every decision that much more impactful where you actually care about what you're going to say to Jonas or what you're going to say to Ren because you kind of see it through Alex's eyes because it's written so well. And then, like I said, there's that whole supernatural vibe that I don't really want to give away, but it adds so much more intrigue built upon that teenager dynamic storyline that they've really excellently written. Yeah, this is one that I don't know why I haven't finished it. I... I literally got it like hours before we were going to record the podcast. We talked about this game and I just haven't found the time to sit down with it, but it has like all the checkpoints that I would normally say, this is a game that I would love, like adventure game with a fantastic theme and dialogue, excellent controls and immersive story. I don't know. I I need to sit down and play this game because I I only played maybe an hour or two of it. Like, I really didn't get that far into it. And especially where all those choices you have for the dialogue and it just felt very natural the way they're talking. And it felt like conversational speak, like you would expect these characters to talk this way. And I could totally see it as a series. And I need to play this game in 2018. I will play the rest of this game in 2018. Yeah, definitely. I think everybody should play this game. Like you said, that conversational style, it's tough to write. It's kind of like an Aaron Sorkin staple, if you ever watch Newsroom or West Wing, where conversation isn't, I talk a whole bunch, the person sits there stoically and then responds. Conversation, you have people talk over one another, They their thoughts drift, it goes on to different tangents and stuff. It's not, you know, oh, I'm going to make this perfect point and then you're going to respond with your perfect point. Conversation is always just kind of has that randomness flow to it and it's written so well to nail it within the structure of this game. And then that whole decision vibe and the different trees that spawn and you see where, oh, if I make this decision here, it completely changes it. So like I said, it gives that incentive to replay, change a whole bunch of decisions the next time you play. And there's this really interesting thing when you end, it's this concord or this essentially current storyline with a different parallel dimension where... Alex makes certain decisions, it leads to a certain choice. You play again, it's a different choice, but it has this whole kind of, you know, multiple dimension idea to it, which makes that replay not just like I'm starting from scratch, but a continuous experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if I had played through this, I'm sure this would have been on my list as well, but I just have not finished it, so I didn't, I didn't put it. So that's Oxen Free, Ollie Ollie Oxen Free, and that's my game <laughs> of the year for 2017, and that's our top 10. Some definitely great Ooh. choices for from both of us. Yeah, I amazing year for games. So I, you definitely should check out these. I'm sure you're going to be putting up your full 50. Are you going to put that up somewhere or not? Yeah, the full 50 is going to come up, the top 10, the podcast is connected all into it to kind of give more voice to each choice and we're looking forward to a great 2018 hopefully it can live up to what the standard 2017 said yeah i hope so too hope 
that everyone listening enjoyed our special Best of 2017 edition. And Brett, thanks for joining me. Yes, pleasure as always. To everyone listening, we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.